Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, my friends. I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends. Let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Hello, my friends. Today's guest, I believe, is a downright saint. And you'll soon see why once you've heard a little bit more about what she does uh, and what she has done uh, as part of her work and as part of her story. Her name is Maggie Doyne, and she is the co-founder of Blink Now Foundation in Kapila Valley Children's Home and School of Sirket, Nepal. At age 19, she used her babysitting money and worked with the local community to build a home for orphan children in war-torn Nepal. In 2010, she and her team opened a school for 500 of the region's most impoverished children. Throughout the past decade, Blink Now and Kapila have worked to deepen and grow the organization through grassroots community development efforts. Maggie's work has been championed by Pulitzer Prize winning columnist Nicholas Kristoff and the Dalai Lama himself, among many others. The story of Blink Now's beginnings has been featured in the Huffington Post, uh, MTV, and many, many other areas as well. And Maggie's story carries with it hope, love, loss, and the possibility of how the smallest individual acts can spark huge world change. She believes that poverty, hunger, and violence will be alleviated when children are provided with the most basic needs and human rights. And, you know, I've always said if you want to change a society, if you want to change an entire generation, you educate the kids. You give the kids what they need to move forward. You're able to change the world just by doing that with kids. And Maggie believes that children, when provided with the most basic needs and human rights, a loving, happy childhood, nutrition, and a quality education, 
she believes that this can be achieved during their lifetime. And I certainly believe the same thing. Maggie has a brilliant book out right now called Between the Mountain and the Sky, A Mother's Story of Love, Loss, Healing and Hope. And this conversation that you're about to listen to is one of my personal favorites. I mean, getting to speak with Maggie, she was such a <laughs> such a wise, deep thinker and she's just a beautiful soul, a beautiful human who is doing so much good in the world and I, I really felt like it was an honor being able to connect with her and share her story with you all today. So if you all get something from this conversation, and I have no doubt that you will, then please share it around to all your friends and your family. Let everyone know about this one. I think Maggie's work uh, with the Blink Now Foundation and even with this book is something to behold and is something to get behind uh, and champion. If you want to help support Maggie and the Blink Now Foundation, you can do that. Go and visit their website or you can get a copy of Maggie's book, Between the Mountain and the Sky. All links for that will be in the show notes below too. And my friends, I would greatly appreciate you guys leaving a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts as well. It just goes a long way in helping to spread incredible messages like Maggie's and stories as well because that's what Storybox is really about uh, to more and more people so more and more people can be helped by stories like this. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into this story box as we go between the mountain and the sky as we learn more about the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than the saint herself. I believe she's a saint, Maggie Doyne. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. We're going to have fun. We're definitely going to have a lot of fun. Uh, Thank you so much for making the time to be here. How are you feeling about your new book about to be released into the world? Oh, it is exciting. It's anxiety provoking. Um, I'm scared. (laughs) I feel really vulnerable, but I'm also just like so proud of myself. You know, it's something that you talk a lot of talk about and you're like, you know, I've always loved to write. I've always journaled. I've always taken notes and just, it's been a way that I problem solve and process. And now it's here and it's coming. And I just did my unboxing video and held it in my hands. And it was so surreal. And um, I'm mostly proud that I get to hand it over to my kids and that it'll live and, you know, it'll continue to live on even beyond me or my lifetime. Yeah. It's timeless, as they say. It's a very special moment. And I love how you mentioned you just did your unboxing video. We're going <laughs> to unbox more of your story today, which I'm, I'm very keen on doing. Uh, yes. My first question for you, Maggie, this is a question that I love asking all my guests at the very start, which is what does success look like for you? I think success is finding your own personal purpose and hopefully finding fulfillment in what you do and hopefully in a way in which you give back to others and make this planet of ours a little better every day. What is your purpose? 
my purpose has been raising children and working in Nepal with a community in deep partnership to change uh, the reality of children, um, specifically in orphan care and women's empowerment issues and sustainability and in community development. Um, and I was so lucky I found it really young and um, it's been a wonderful, crazy journey. <laughs> I, I can imagine. I can't wait to hear more about it. What, how did you discover your life's purpose? Well, I was like 17, 18 years old to take you way back to the beginning. And I was just your typical suburban. I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> does, does that mean anything to you? It does. New Jersey? <laughs> okay. The okay, New, New Jersey girl. <laughs> yeah. So I'm this New Jersey girl. I've got two sisters, a trampoline in my backyard. I live on a cul-de-sac, go to public school just average typical soccer playing ponytail wearing girl and when you're of this kind of level of privilege in suburban new jersey you go to college and that's what everyone does and success in college and you have to get into the right college with the right name the right you know cachet and so i all of a sudden just woke up one morning and it was amidst like lacrosse and ap exams and student government, just all of the stuff, college applications and SATs. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm about to go and try to figure this out and invest in four years of college or university and all of money, like take loans of hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it. And I have no idea who I am on the inside. Mm. And so like, I have no idea what I even want to do. And I'm supposed to go figure this out on a college campus while spending infinite dollars and taking jello shots and pledging for a sorority. Like I just, it didn't, something wasn't clicking. It wasn't resonating with my heart. And I knew that I needed to just see the world outside of that New Jersey sort of bubble that I'd been raised in. And so I thought I had this like kind of moment where I was just like, what if I just traveled and learned a little bit about the world outside of New Jersey and, and, and see what else is out there. So fast forward, like many, many countries later and thousands of miles, I happened to end up in Northeastern India. And that was at the height of the conflict and civil war in Nepal. Yeah. And pretty much the rest is history, but I want to go, <laughs> I want to get back a little bit and, and ask you, how did you know, like, what, what was it about? Was there a feeling inside this wasn't right for you? Did you know what countries you wanted to go to first or you just wanted to get out of the place? Good question. Like, how do you know when you're not in alignment with when something's not right? I think we all know. Um, and I think we're taught to ignore it. But for me, it was just like an inner voice, an inner whisper, like a, a feeling in my stomach of just like, what is this? Like, you know, 17 years old, making it a hundred, hundreds of thousands of dollars in investment when you're a kid. And I had had no life experience. I was a babysitter. That's about it. I played soccer. Um, so yeah, it's that feeling, that voice. I don't know. Everybody has a different name for it. Um, and then I didn't know where I wanted to travel. I was just like, what sounds fun? I'm going to go to the South Pacific. I, I started in uh, Fiji, Australia, New Zealand, because I was 17, 18. And that it sounded fun and exciting. And we were traveling and just doing cultural immersive um, 
just, we were scuba diving for goodness sake, like learning how to meditate on a monastery and organic farming and like outdoor survival courses. It was, it blew my mind away. And it just kind of like, just gave me some freedom to see the world outside of what I had been raised in. And just, I got into reading again and I don't know. I just kind of found my way back to my heart through travel. Were you scared to travel? Well, it was a big deal at the time. Like my guidance counselor thought I was making this huge mistake and like, what are you doing? You should be going to college. Yeah. I had gotten into colleges and um, like, I'd never really been to another country. I had to get a passport, all of those things that, yeah, it was, it was definitely scary, but it was incredible. It was such a privilege and it changed the course of my life. If yeah. you could, if you could go back to your younger self, the 17, 18 year old self and give yourself one piece of advice, what would you give yourself? Go, just go. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Hurry up and go. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I like just waffled over that decision so much and I felt like a failure and I still remember they didn't write my name in the like newspaper because I wasn't going to college you know, like they never wrote, like I just got left out and I didn't have a banner hanging with the name of my college alma mater on it. Like it felt like such a big deal in my little 17 year old mind. And now I'm just like, that's the best thing you could have ever done for yourself. Mm. Best thing. Yeah. On the young yeah. people, like you said, to make this massive financial decision and then the stress of it all as well. I mean, I, it's I kind know, of backwards, I, right? It's, it's backwards, so backwards the way that our culture does it. Like you should like go and adventure and follow your, like, if you are interested in something, go intern. What happened to the art of being an apprentice or like shadowing someone or just getting a job, working mm-hmm. for a little bit, earning some money. You learn so much from like the work of what you don't want to do. And no, like, I think our culture has programmed us at least in North American and at least in this middle-class sort of category that I fell into of like, if you want to be successful, do whatever you can and get to the highest level of education you can at the best school that you can get on the fast track. Boom, boom, boom. Otherwise things are going to go to shit. <laughs> it just much. wasn't true for me. Yeah. It, it seems that way in a lot of cultures, it's like the main thing to do, you know, you, you go, from school to university, you study hard for a certain amount of years, you increase the amount of stress and pressure you have on yourself during that time of study. And then you go out into the workforce and you're basically told, you know, earn this amount of money for a certain period of time. And if you're, if you don't do that, if you do something different, then you basically reject, you're an outcast. And I I don't agree with that line of thought one little bit because that would mean that I'm an outcast (laughs) and that would mean you're an outcast, but look at us or look at what you're doing now. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Oh, thank you. Honestly. Was there any stories along your travels that gave you any really profound lessons at all? Like that you remember, was it more the, the Western countries that you went to that gave you the biggest lessons or was it, the other countries, the it was all of it. it. 
It was all of it. I think I, you know, in that age, you're just in such this teeny tiny orbit and you're the center of the universe. And, you know, the only way that you know is your way and how you were brought up. And you kind of, once you get out and you step out into the world, you see that there's just so much and it's so vast and you're so small. You become so small in this world that's greater and filled with so many cultures and people and stories and um our humanness like how much the same we are um but I couldn't see that as a kid growing up in the suburbs and it was everything I took something away from every step along that journey uh, I, I definitely learned the most on the Nepal journey that was when the pieces of the puzzle and becoming who I was and what I wanted to be and what I wanted to do and how I wanted to contribute kind of started to come together. It was definitely Nepal. So tell me about the Nepal trip. What was it about Nepal that sort of opened your eyes to things? So I became really good friends with this gal named Sunita. She was a Nepali refugee living across the border in Northeastern India. And unlike me, Sunita knew exactly what she wanted to do. She was that kid. She wanted to become a doctor and um, was driven and just so academic and, and incredible, but she didn't know where she came from. She'd left her village at the height of the civil war mm. and kind of was starting to lose memories of her village and her culture and her people and her family who had all kind of dissipated due to the effects of civil war. So the two of us decided to plan a trip to go to Nepal, find her home, find her village figure out where she came from, kind of fill that missing hole that she was feeling before she went on um, to do, to do what she wanted to do. And we walked for days. We're on a bus for days. We um, ultimately reached her village and really traveled throughout Nepal. And I'd seen sort of the Indian side of the refugee crisis and the civil war, but actually going to the country itself and understanding the root issue and just schools having been shut down, homes being ransacked, families being separated, mm. the true effects of civil war and how harmful and and just what it does to women and children. It's just such a, a, a horrible, horrific. Um, violence is just one of the worst things in the entire world. So we were experiencing this. Sunita's home during the Civil War had actually been taken over and converted into a Maoist rebel base camp. And we just kind of took it in on that trip. And we were also seeing the Nepal side of things and what can happen without education, what can happen um, due to the effects of hunger and, and poverty and, you know, generational poverty. And we were on a riverbed. I'm sorry, I'm going way too long, but we're, we were on a riverbed and there were all these kids breaking rocks. And I just had a moment on the riverbed with one little girl. And I was like, I can't do anything about a million children in Nepal who've been orphaned. I can't do anything about all the issues that I've seen, the refugee crisis and the migrant crisis, but I could do something for Hema. And that was the start of the story. Hema went to school. She was a rock breaker. Um, and we kind of started to just look at Hema's life and figure out, really ask her what she wanted and ask the community what they wanted and, and, and start to solve the pieces of that puzzle with uh, looking at how a child can grow and thrive in community. So Hema went to school 
And then we started a school and then we started a home because there's this whole hierarchy of needs, right? A kid can't just go to school and become a superstar. They need a safe home. They need love. They need nutrition. They need clean water so that they don't get sick. They need, you know, healthcare, all of the things after school program, homework support. If they've missed critical learning periods from being out of school for so long, they need a lot of support. Um, and then, you know, two kids became five kids, became eight kids, became a hundred kids, became 500 kids and fast forward. I think, you know, the end of the story, which is that we, um, we run this beautiful program in Nepal called the Blink Now Foundation, changing the world in the blink of an eye. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's the end of the story. I think the story is continuing. <laughs> there's so much more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's like so much in there. <laughs> to un unbox more of uh, and don't ever feel bad for sharing too much by the way it's totally okay it saves me having it's to talk. so hard it's like oh my god how am I going to tell you 15 years and like all this and not gloss over it because it was really hard and not like be like and that but it's it's hard to even get to like who I was you know as a suburban teenager kid and then traveling and then working in India and then Nepal it's like ugh, so much territory to cover before we get to the meat of the whole thing. <laughs> I know, which is is so exciting for me because <laughs> I, I just sort of like want to get to the meat of the, of the things, but I guess there's like that lead up, that build up process to that meat, <laughs> I guess you could say. But you mentioned something very interesting and I'm curious about this too, is the process of you going through this, this change, like over the, the course of your life and the different experiences. But how have you changed from when you were an 18 year old to when you mm. were say a 30 year old? I don't know how old you are now. I won't ask you, but how have you changed? I'm 35 now. So yeah, it has been 15 going on. Yeah. It's about 15, 16, 17 years <clears throat> since the beginning. <clears throat> and, um, Oh, I've changed so much. I, I, I think I went into it with like, how is this the world? Like, how are we allowing each other to suffer? And how is it that we've figured so many things out and yet our children are hungry and just want to learn how to read and write and have the opportunity to go to school and be safe. And we're failing so miserably as a human family. And it was that sort of microcosm on the riverbed watching five and four and two-year-olds break rocks that just completely pulled me under and made me question everything in this world. And um, so I kind of went into it as a, you know, 19, 20 year old with this naive, like, we can do better than this. This is ridiculous. I want to walk across this riverbed and I don't want to see a single child breaking rocks. Uh, this is an easier problem to solve. I can't turn back and just go to college. I'm going to figure this out. And why are orphanages these dark, horrific, dismal, abusive places? I want to change that. And I want to do that. So, um, but I also, because I was so young, I knew that I didn't know the answers and I wasn't from there. I was an outsider. I knew nothing about the culture, the people. Um, so with that naive, like we can do better came this, like, well, I need help. And I want to understand and question. And I came with this curiosity and burning to know. 
And that was the first step was just pulling a team together and pulling the local community together, which is the secret sauce of it all. That's why we've been successful. My co-founder Tope is incredible. And we kind of went out, went at it as a joint venture in the community. And through the years with my age and the experience and the losses and the learning, I think how I've changed is realizing that you can't do anything alone. It's all about the collective. It's about the human family. It's about the community deciding for itself what it is, like what the changes that they want to see and bringing about that change. And I went in with like that fierceness and that anger and that despair. And now I think I'm going at it just equipped with this amazing team of Nepali surrounding me and humbling me and teaching me. And I think that's been the biggest change, less fierceness, more softness, more, we got this, like, I don't know, (laughs) big, big transformation. Big big humility, I guess. And you Mm -hmm. mentioned, you mentioned something that these big questions of why, do we have all this suffering? Why do we have all these human beings killing other human beings? Why do we have a lot of poverty? All these massive, massive questions that sort of racks my brain a lot of the time. Because you think about mm-hmm. it, like if you put all the millionaires or the billionaires together, they could cure world hunger just like that. It wouldn't have to, there wouldn't be that sort of suffering. But I guess I wanted to ask you from your perspective, maybe I'm naive in that way, or maybe I'm not, who knows? Um, It's okay to question, (laughs) I guess. But why do you think that there is all this suffering? Why do you think there hasn't really been a big, big resolve? I mean, you you got a great resolve like yourself doing these incredible things, but why do you think on a much larger scale it hasn't happened yet? Well, I think the first thing to remember is that the world is getting better. Um, We know a lot more. We're seeing it up close and personal. And sometimes it feels like there's more hunger, um, more poverty, more violence in the world. This has been a, a human, this is in our human nature. It's somehow embedded into our survivalist power, ego, greed, um, I mean, it's like the issues like of being a human in general, like we have this like these complexities about our cultures, our societies, our own humanness that I think puts up barriers as other and survivalism of like, I have to take care of me and myself and my family and the people around me and this I can only can control, right? I can only control what I can control. Um, and you protect your clan, your people, yourself. <clears throat> and I think just some way, somewhere along the way, we forgot that we're this collective and that we're the same species and the same people and that you're only as strong as your weakest member of society or family. And all of that being said, so so why, I think it comes down to human nature. Why haven't we solved it? I also think the field of development is incredibly complex and we haven't had blueprints for solving difficult and challenging and these complex problems and issues. But I do think it's important to remember that we're getting better. Like hunger, 
yes, COVID aside, COVID has been a major backslide when it comes to all of these issues. And it's horrible what, what developing countries are going to face and how many hundreds of millions of kids have been left out of school. But we are getting better. It's gotten better over time and we still have a long way to go. And I don't even know. That was a really hard question. Thanks a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's a hard question, but you did, you did a fantastic job in answering it. I, you know, I I was sort of tossing up between whether or not I should ask it. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to bite the bullet and see how she goes. (laughs) Why is the world so bad? (laughs) Why is it hard? Why are we still throwing bombs on each other? Why are we still killing children? Why? Are we still accepting that hung like it's it's tough? And would like yeah, would a bunch of billionaires in the room solve it? Like, why do we have so much inequality? It makes no sense. Why were you born that way and I was born this way and he's born? It's, it's all a lottery sometimes, it feels like. Mm, I think getting <laughs> the answers to those questions. In a way, is sort of impossible this side of eternity. Like when I die and one day go to heaven and I get to meet God face to face, I'm going to ask him a million and one questions, and these are going to be it. <laughs> like it's going to be a great conversation that I am so looking forward to. But I think ultimately the human condition is one that there are amazing people out there that are selfless. And they do wonderful things for this world. And then you have these other selfish people that just want it, just a cruel and heartless. And it what racks my brain is like, what happened to you to become that way? Is it the way you were taught or what's what's going on? But I like how, I like how you said that the world is getting better and it's because of people like you. You're really on to something though, because I think if we could figure out how to raise children, every child with love and tenderness and kindness and their most basic human needs and rights, if every child was loved and cared for and given opportunity, I wonder, would that be the end? Um, Because I bet if you look at these trajectories that go on for generations after generation, it does come down to trauma and suffering and, you know, cyclical issues of not taking care of each other. And I think one perpetuates the other. Mm, It's like a flow on effect and Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't stop. And I've spoken to people that deal with trauma and I was speaking to someone not that long ago, actually, he was, he was dealing with family trauma to how our family's past affects the future generations. If we don't choose to stop it, if we don't choose to deal with it. And it was a fascinating thing because parents that haven't dealt with their trauma can go to their kids and the kids don't know how to deal with it. And they're going through this, this life with this pain inside them. They don't really know is there all they know is the actions that are coming out (laughs) like, and those actions aren't great to be honest. Like, but if I think you're, you're right. If we can treat people as humans with love, with respect, with kindness, with, and all of us were, were humble 
enough to just say, look, we're all, we're all human. We all make mistakes. I get that, but we can all come together in, in some way, shape or form for the, the greater good. I guess you, you could call it that, that we need it. <laughs> we yeah. Really and that it, that it's also, it's not your children and my children and their children and his children and this country. It's, it's, these are our children. This is our responsibility as a collective. And when a child is not cared for when they're when they are not fed when they are there is a real human consequence to that on this planet um that does something to a person to a community to a region to a country like it's been studied it's it's been studied that the effects of this are huge and on the contrary it's also been studied by some of the leading um economists and development studies that when a child is educated, when they're given opportunity, when they learn how to read and write and critical thinking skills, Mm -hmm. and even get just a primary school education, there's also huge ripple effects. You know, it's called the girl effect or, um, you know, it changes the game for everybody. It changes a country's GDP when a girl finishes primary school. So I think there's there's also solutions right 100% and i mean you're you've got a school you're teaching kids in nepal and you're giving them a chance to i guess be the best versions of themselves <laughs> and it starts with education if we can educate the kids the right way the best way give them actual proper skills for life <laughs> like life skills you know and critical thinking skills, proper critical thinking skills, have them question and not tear them down the moment they do ask questions, which tends to happen, I've noticed, here in Sydney, Australia. And we can just allow them to be wildly curious. Hmm. Imagine what can happen then. Like They do rest. If a child is loved and, and truly cared for and encouraged, they do the rest. They become, I, I can tell you that that is a hundred percent true. I've seen it. I've got 200 kids out in the world who are amazing human beings and who started off their start on this planet was pretty darn rough. They had the worst human atrocities and traumas that could possibly happen to a person happen. And now they're becoming teachers and doctors and engineers and healthcare workers and accountants and family members and loving, generous, kind human beings. And that I can tell you is a hundred percent. Like that is just the truth. (laughs) I can imagine, honestly, I mean, the way you must feel having spoken about you got 200 kids out in the world they become doctors <laughs> they become all these things i mean that's i don't know how to describe that like the the kind of feeling that i would have knowing that i i, I played a small part in that person's life i mean that is just mind-boggling to me it's amazing <laughs> it's the best <laughs> it's feeling it's the best feeling i mean everybody i mean that is, there's no greater feeling on earth. There's nothing that beats that than watching a child bloom. Um, and we can all do that for someone. That's what I, I always say that as a message, like you don't have to go 8,000 miles away. 
you don't have to like up and uproot your life and do something so incredibly extreme. That happened to me. That was my experience and my story and my own journey. I happened to be there, but look around us. Like there are miracles everywhere. There's kindness. You can change someone's life at any moment. We all have it within us and um, we can just be there for each other. So yeah, I think, I think that's where the magic is. Is that what gets you up every single morning to continue doing what you're doing today? Oh yeah. I mean, I love children. I love, um, yeah, I, I, I refuse to believe that this isn't possible to figure out. You know, I, I think I just dream about being old and gray and wrinkly and surrounded by all my many children. I have like 58 kids now (laughs) in our home and who call me Maggie mom. And of just them asking like, was it true that you, that kids were hungry? Was it true that they were cold? Was it true that they were sold into child labor or trafficking or, and then telling them, yeah, it was true. This is what happened. And we figured this out. We solved it. This is how we did it. We use technology and the goodness in human beings and we got there. Mm. So regarding the struggles, regarding the the difficult times, regarding the challenges that you've had to face along the journey, would you be able to or would you be comfortable with sharing some of the challenges you've had to face with starting blink now and even writing the book the foundation all those things yeah absolutely no it's good to talk about the struggle i think it's been incredibly hard you know i i definitely started the journey with like the rose-colored glasses of youth and naivete and then as you get into it and into it and take on more and more responsibility there was a lot of times of fear a lot of times of uncertainty Um, if you don't have investment and people rallying around you and money and resources, you don't really have a mission at all. Mm. Um, so I think initially, and even today, that's always a cause of major stress. You know, you take on a child's life and being able to provide for them. And and with us, that's times a hundred, um, and just consistency of revenue stream and knowing that what we're doing today, we can continue next year. Um, I think that's like the practical side of things and just, you know, that nonprofit hustle that comes with getting people to support your cause when there's just so many good causes and so many needs in the world. That's something that causes me a lot of stress. I think in terms of what's hard about it is just the cases that we have to turn away and we've had our fair share of loss, our fair share of failure. Um, you know, I've lost children and um, to despite, you know, there was this narrative I used to have that if you just worked hard enough and you just plowed through and you did the right things and you were putting good energy out into the world and making change that good things would happen. And I've learned that that's not always the case, you know, bad things happen. And there've been so many moments on this journey of 17 years now that I just wanted to give up and I wanted to quit. And I felt like a failure and I felt like, Oh, maybe it's not working or, you know, maybe this is just too much to hope for. And it's been really hard just like finding the hours in the day. And, (laughs) um, I think with a lot of children comes a lot of love and you just, when you love 
something so much. It's your heart outside of your body that's parenting. And it's been incredibly challenging. Has those challenges gotten easier over the years as you've grown or have they gotten a lot bigger? In certain ways, you know, like, but in certain ways they get bigger because when you have more (laughs) initiatives and more children under our wings, then you have more responsibility. And um, I think now I definitely have a lot more fear too. So just like, oh, if I don't, and pressure, I think that comes with age, unfortunately. I'm always trying to get back to that childlike state of just wonder and it's all going to be okay and living in the moment, but it's hard. Mm. (laughs) And it's just so hard being a parent. It's so hard. It's the hardest job in the whole world. Do you see the fear in some of the kids that you look after or is it just adult fear? I think most of my fear are grown-up fears. Um, I think children live with a lot less angst and fear in their natural state. Um, and I watch my own children as they navigate teenagehood and young adulthood, grappling with some of those things that I do and that I did. Um, but yeah, I think no journey is easy. We're all on this planet Um And nobody gets an easy pass and it's full of suffering and loss for everyone. I mean, the whole nature of being alive is that we're going to die someday. And so is everyone we love. And then we're supposed to like walk around and be on podcasts and like talk about like, it's all okay. And yeah, I think it's anytime you put your heart into something you love, anytime you're passionate about anything, there's this risk of losing it all. And it's that with an organization, with being a parent, with having a big dream. I mean, there's all these other things that creep in and try to take over. Mm. I was reminded yesterday and even Saturday as well of just how precious life really is. And you're right, life does happen. There's so much loss, there's so much grief, there's so much pain and suffering in the world. It is crazy to think that there is so much of that happening in the world, but that is ultimately part of life. And it's kind of like life is so precious and so valuable and yet we often take it for granted. We often don't treat it with the respect or the regard that it is often due. And I think kids, in many respects, they're kind of like they have the most pure sense of the world mm. and they're living in that a bliss, in, in that pure bliss <laughs> that I wish I can, I, I, I can sort of go back to because they're not tainted as much by all the things that go on. I mean, they are smart and they do see a lot, but they're not as worried as adults are. Um, yeah. 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 It's been powerful giving my young adult children the book because they're my age now when my journey started and they're just, their minds are just blown. They're like, oh my gosh, we had no idea. They were having their childhood experience while I was having my young adult experience and being able to open up that doorway to conversations has been really magical because they can, now they're my age Mm -hmm. and moving into adulthood, they're kind of seeing 
the world that they grew up in through a different lens. That's why I think books are so powerful because they're just like, the kids were like, we had no idea that was all happening while that was happening. And, um, you know, saw that I was growing up too. Like so much growing up happens in those years from 19 to 25 to 30. Mm -hmm. And, um, you're just growing up. You're learning so much about the world, yourself, you're having failures, you're, your insecurities are all coming up. You're an adult and you realize, I think the nature of being an adult is like, oh yeah, I'm the only one that truly has my back. It's just me and my demons and this <laughs> walking around like it's all going to be okay. And uh, trying to make this place better. How do we leave this place better than we found it? And there's so much, there's so much uncertainty and fear, like there's, unfortunately, there's like a million things to worry about and we're not supposed to worry or be anxious. It's kind of like, don't worry, be happy, right? How? (laughs) How? (laughs) How? There's I think the secret is you just get up every single day and you put your best foot forward and you try to create good and you try to lead with love and you try to show kindness and do what you can where you are with what you have and your best changes every day, as they say, and like hope. I always just say like, are my actions for good? Am I trying to create impact? Am I trying to create change? Am I being kind? Am I trying my best? Am I showing up? Am I quieting down the noise and the crap and the materialism and all the stuff that's getting thrown at us each day to distract us from the reality. And the reality is that we just have today and we just have this one lifetime and we just have to do the best we can with this life that we get and this amazing opportunity and create good and try to live with joy and try to live in the moment and try to do good for others. I don't know. That's what I'm trying to live with. I don't know about you. I'm much the same, honestly. I think you're right. Get trying your absolute best every single day, whatever that looks like. And I think the the scale of your best does change because some days might be worse than other days. And so that that day you tried to give your best, it looks very different to a, an easier day where you thought you gave your best to. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just find life just an interesting phenomenon. Honestly, it's just like, there's so much craziness going on, but then also I'm an eternal optimist. Like I, I have hope. I have that, that realization that I want to make a difference, but how do I make a difference? And then I think, well, the scale of me wanting to make a a big difference right now, I might be getting ahead of myself. I might need to take a step back a little bit and just focus on the here and now, those people that are in my close proximity, that might be more worthwhile and beneficial. And then when I am trusted with the much greater things, then I will do the much greater things to the best of my ability. I don't know if you've discovered that too, because you've got a lot of kids that you look after and the enormity of that, the weight, the pressure, everything like that. And you're trying to get up every single day to give your best. I mean, yeah. I, I 
I applaud you. Honestly, I can't put my, we all do. We all do. We all try to show up. We all try to keep hope. I'm like you. I think it's really great being born with that innate optimism. I think it helps us a lot. Um, we don't, we don't get to stay in that depressive, oh my God, the world's going to end because if, if you are an eternal optimist, it always is going to get you up. You're like, no, I'm showing up again. I'm back in the ring. I'm, I'm still here. I'm still, you know, I zoom in and I zoom out, but, um, I think it's, it's hard to be built with optimism because you have a lot of empathy and, um, you want to do a million things, but it's also a blessing in that. We're not going to lose hope. It's the optimists that got to keep us going, <laughs> keep us believing. Because if we lose belief, if we lose hope, if we lose the optimism, then we're really screwed. I mean, then we're just, <laughs> we're done for. <laughs> you, you can say that again. I, I totally, I totally agree with you on that front. And I, I always love to believe as well that, and what I try and give to people is that each and every one of us, that we're all leaders you can either be a good one or you can be a bad one. We're all leading our own lives first and foremost. And if you're leading, if you don't know how to lead your life in the best possible way, then you're not going to really lead anyone else. Like yeah. people, people watch you, people see you, right? So I think we need more leaders that are not only leading their life in a positive and an optimistic kind of way, ones that take those struggles in their stride and say, look, this is happening and it is going to be a part of my life. I'm going to embrace it for, for the most part because I have that hope, because I have that optimism that things will get better in the future. And then if people can see that and how you're walking this life, then maybe you're going to make a change and a, a difference and help that person transform their own life. And then that might start a chain reaction. That's the way I see it, Maggie. Yeah. Yeah. And it works. Like taking care of children, you know, believing in love, staying hopeful, um, taking care of our human family. It works like education works there. We know that it works. Right. I think that's always good. It's not like some secret formula that we need to figure out. It's like, no, we just need to love and take care of each other. That's it. Like, let's find a way. And if enough of us are loving and taking care of each other, enough, 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 and we believe in the abundance, we believe that there's enough, we're going to get there. I know it. I know it. What have kids taught you about love? <sighs> that it's infinite and that it only grows and expands. And um, again, to go back to what we're saying before, they love without fear. They love without abandon. They keep showing up for more. <laughs> so they have a lot of resilience and love mm. and they only need to be loved. That's all they've, you know, I think every human being and every child, they just want to be a part of something and be loved. Isn't that what we all want? It's just to be loved. Yeah. To feel like connection, that warmth, mm. yeah, that beauty. Yeah. I think it's for whatever reason, it's sort of like, a lot of us are missing it and we're, we're craving it. And I was speaking with, um, I don't know, do, do you know Freedom Riders? Erin mm-hmm. Gruel. Um, she, yeah, it's a, it's a movie. It's also a book too. And she was telling me a story of how 
this young boy was, he didn't grow up family problems and everything like that. He was in prison and all he wanted was a hug. <laughs> all he wanted was a hug. And so when Aaron gave him a hug, he apologized to her in a letter because he never had a hug before. And we, we both shared a, a moment just in tears because that's all he wanted was a human connection to feel like he was loved and like he was valued. And <clears throat> for me, that's like enormously pure and special. We need more of that. Mm -hmm. I agree 100%. Yeah. What do you love the most about yourself and your story, Maggie? Mm, I love that anyone can do it. I love that I'm just a normal person, <laughs> um, just a standard normal person, not particularly like super smart. I was an average everything. Um, I started this journey with my babysitting money. Um, so I think, I think my story makes people feel like they can do it too wherever they are, whoever they are. So I love sharing it for that reason with young people, um, with anyone. It's like, you can do it. You can do something. Um, and I love, I love my joy. Um, I love that despite everything I've seen and witnessed and experienced, I still live with joy. I have the capacity for joy and laughter. And I like to think that I haven't lost my own childlike self. How can people get joy in their own life right now? Mm. Surround yourself with children because they do it really naturally. They live with joy and wonder. Um, stay grounded in the moment. Um, believe that the human family and our collective humanity is going to overcome and we're going to win and we're going to be okay and that you're going to be okay. You just keep believing, keep getting up, keep loving, <laughs> keep smiling, fake it till you make it. Just one thing at a time, one day, one action, one thing at a time. Don't disregard the simplicity of it all. Mm -hmm. Don't give up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maggie, your new book, uh, it came out in March and you've been doing the, the book tour. I, I cannot wait to get my hands on a copy. It's still yet to arrive in Sydney, Australia, and I'm about to move as well. So that should be fun. <laughs> so uh, yeah, might have to wait a little bit longer, but that's okay. Uh, it's called Between the Mountain and the Sky, A Mother's Story of Love, Loss, Healing and Hope. People can go and get a copy of it wherever books are sold and hopefully it arrives a lot quicker than it has yet to arrive for me. <laughs> um, I, yeah, like I said, congratulations on, on the book, Maggie. Um, what do you hope the most for someone to get out of reading this book? All of those things we were talking about, hope, inspiration, the power to change the world lies within each of us. Like it's in all of us. Um, some little tricks of the trade in there. <laughs> <laughs> this is um my last and and my favorite question i love asking all my guests at the very end it is a hypothetical one and i cannot wait to actually see this 
um, when it does happen. But I just want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done, the good, bad, the ugly. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Maggie helped create a world where every child was safe and educated and loved. And we did it. Look, we got here. <laughs> Every child is warm and healthy and fed. And we found a way to take care of each other. Mm. I think that's a perfect send-off message for people. I can't wait to watch the replay <laughs> uh, of, of everything you've done. But honestly, I, I said it in the our first initial conversation and i'll say it again you're a saint uh, love your work you're an incredible human being cannot wait to meet you in person but thank you so much maggie for your time today and for joining me on the Storybox podcast thank you i can't wait for your book <laughs> i really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story i just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guests today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom. And don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.